The Kingdom of God, from Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Deciding that democracy wasn't his thing, Peter Fitzek went, to, uh, went on to found, uh, to start the Kingdom of Germany in 2012 and declared himself as king. You might have heard his story. His kingdom consists of little more than an abandoned hospital in the eastern German town of Wittenberg, famous for Luther. Now, what got him into, what got him into trouble was when the, the 51-year-old convinced almost 600 people to deposit a total of 1.7 million euros into his supposed bank. So the authorities moved in and put an end to his little kingdom. In its heyday, in its heyday, the United Kingdom was where the Queen of, the Queen of England exercised her authority and purposes so vast that it was said that the sun never set on the British Empire. But the United Kingdom is only a mortal kingdom and mortal kingdoms have a years-by date. They are not lasting. They have their climax and then when God decides, they decline and eventually all kingdoms will end. Earthly kingdoms, that is. So our subject this morning is the kingdom of God and one very important aspect of God's kingdom is that it shall have no end. As usual, we will only be able to, to scrape the, the surface of this tremendously important aspect of our faith. The, the reason why it is important is that Jesus spoke many times about the kingdom of God. And if Jesus spoke many times about it, that means that the kingdom of God has to be first and foremost in our minds. So these are some of the things that Jesus said and, and did. He described his preaching, he described his preaching as a message about the kingdom of God. That's from Luke chapter 4, verse 43. He taught his disciples that they were to pray that God's kingdom would come. We should pray, therefore, that God's kingdom would come. Luke 11, 2. He told his disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9 verse 2. And most of his parables were illustrations used to instruct us regarding the kingdom of God. And we can see that it covers just about every aspect of our faith, does it not? So what is the kingdom of God? Well, broadly speaking, the kingdom of God is the manifestation of God's authority, his power and purposes, whether in a person or in a place. The Bible says that when one becomes a Christian, they surrender to God and are taken out of the kingdom of darkness and enter into the kingdom of God. That's Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. In other words, 
Christians are now under a new authority, experience a new power and fulfil the purposes of God instead of fulfilling the purposes of darkness, of Satan. The Bible also refers to a time when God's kingdom will be established, not just in individual lives, but geographically over the whole earth. Many of the prophecies in Scripture speak of this glorious time. As we look at our world around us and the, and the chaos that we find ourselves in, you just look at your screens and there it is. And, and, and to many it would appear that God is no longer on the throne, that he has some, somehow just vacated and says, okay, you guys do what you want. Yet, you know what? Things are playing out just as God said they would, aren't they? He told us about these days. He warned us about these times. What it would be like. But there will come a time when evil will finally be destroyed and the coming of the new heavens and a new earth will be a, a, not just a spiritual reality but a physical reality as well. And the kingdom of God's current presence among the people is a main theme in the Gospel of Luke. It is everywhere in the Gospel of Luke. So this morning we will simply take a look at this passage and see what Jesus wanted us to know about his glorious kingdom. First of all, the presence of God's kingdom. The presence of God's kingdom in verses 20 and 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Just like us today. The Pharisees were carefully watching world and political events of the day and, and, and searching the scriptures so that they would know when the kingdom of God would come. There were reasons for this. One of them, obvious ones, is obviously because they were occupied by the Romans. They wanted to be free from, from their oppressors. They wanted to, a, a re-establishment. They pictured the kingdom of God looked something like the days of David. The almighty, powerful Israelite kingdom. And said, let's go back to that. The problem is that their expectations were limited to the socio-political and geographical. Under, and, and under this religious cloak, it was something that could be observed and pointed to in the same way as we could point on a map and, and, and say, there is the United Kingdom of God. There it is. But Jesus corrects them and says, 
The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will they say, here it is or there it is. And it will not come with your implementation. This is God's doing. Jesus goes on to say that the kingdom of God is in your midst. Other translations say among you or within you. This is a way of saying that the kingdom of God that you are expecting has already arrived and is among you right here in your presence. Why? Because Jesus, the king of the kingdom, is present. He was exercising his authority and and, and manifesting the purposes of the kingdom. Wherever he went and somebody was possessed by a demon, suddenly the demons would wake up and they just start firing up because the king was here. He had total authority over them. They would flee, they would run, they would protest and carry on. And because Jesus as king was there. Jesus came and he rattled the cage. He rattled Satan's cage, hasn't he? He's upset. One of the passages talks about this in Luke 11.20. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Whenever Jesus healed the sick, cast out demons, overcame evil in people's lives, controlled nature, calmed the storm, released the oppressed, saved souls, he was manifesting the Authority, power, the purposes of God. He was writing what was wrong in his authority as part of the implementation of the kingdom of God. Now the authority, power and purposes of God are today being fulfilled through Jesus Christ. But remember that when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is present or in our midst, he doesn't mean that it it is the full manifestation of God's rule. It is quite obvious as we look around us that sin and evil and suffering all exist. And even as Christians, we, we only experience God's purposes and power to overcome these things in part, not in the whole. This is because the fullness of the kingdom is still in the future. We experience the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, but its full implementation is in the future. That's what the books of the prophets and the book of Revelation is all about. In some ways, how can we compare it? In some ways we can compare it to the kingdom of God like a cyclone approaching the Australian coast. You see the, the band sort of approaching east or west, wherever it's coming from. And, and when the outer bands hit land, it, it, 
becomes, you feel the, the winds are picking up and the trees are starting to shake and starting to, to lean and also the rains are coming. And the meteorologists can accurately say the cyclone is here, it is present. You can feel that the wind's gaining some strength, but it is only a foretaste of the the much larger intensity that is to come. You are simply experiencing the outer bands. In the same way, the manifestations of the kingdom of God we experience today are only, prepare yourselves for this, are only a foretaste of what is to come. Prepare yourselves, Jesus is saying. Be ready. Because the intensity and the power is yet to show itself. So in verses 22 to 25, the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. But you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. While he was speaking with his disciples, he told them that they would long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. It means that there will will be a hunger, a longing for the return of Jesus the King to set up his kingdom. Early Christians, and certainly the disciples, they they had the priorities right. I mean, they, they certainly weren't thinking about this world. They weren't thinking about building bigger homes, They weren't thinking about retirement plans or fancy cars and collections and clothes. That wasn't their mindset. Their burning desire because of their experiences, because of what they were going through. They were going through intense persecution. All of them except John would die as martyrs for their faith. Think about their early Christians as they were getting burned and and mauled by lions. And for 2,000 years it has been the same. What is the longing of their heart? The coming of Jesus. The return of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And one of their favourite phrases was Maranatha, which means, Come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Shouldn't this be your prayer every day? 
Come, Lord Jesus. The sooner the better. But Lord, come in your time. Let me not be found sleeping or wandering. But let me be found fully expectant, welcoming your arrival, just as you have promised, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. While they desired this, Jesus said to them, you will not see it. And that's sad, isn't it? You will not see it. In other words, there will be a delay before Jesus returns. And something, this is something that Jesus hinted at and, and spoke of in his parables. The king goes away and then he returns and he holds his servants to account. And because of this delay, there will be in this delay, that in-between period, his servants, his children, his followers, they, are, will, be, they, they will be susceptible to false prophets, false Christ and, and false reports of Christ's return. But we don't have to worry about missing the return of Jesus because even though many would have missed his first coming, they didn't recognise him, John says, nobody will miss his second coming. According to verse 24, it will be similar to lightning. Are you the type of person that you see lightning at night, you go and hide in your little room like, like my dog? Or you go out to the balcony and just, this lightning, thunder, wow, this is amazing, this is a light show, this is incredible. I'm that type of person, but my dog, my dog is not. It's just, boom, the whole of the sky, isn't it? It's, it's amazing. I don't know if you ever stayed in a farm. I remember a big property we used to go in near Narrabri and uh, when the storm came, it was, I still have it right there. It was just everything lit up. Amazing. Nobody will miss Jesus' second coming. Of course, this hasn't stopped many cults and sects like the JWs, who teach that Jesus returned invisibly and set up his kingdom in 1914. But only, of course, a a small number of faithful believers saw it, they say. It's obvious that, that such teaching is totally contradictory to what Jesus said here. He said, don't go after them. Don't believe those who say, oh, there it is, or here it is. Jesus Clearly said. In other words, don't listen to people who teach false doctrine and any false short of, of the things that Jesus told us. Don't go beyond what he told us. Revelations one seven. Look, he is coming with the clouds, 
and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And in this passage there is a, a reference to Jesus' crucifixion, isn't there? Which was, his crucifixion was never from Jesus' mind. It is a reminder that Jesus did not come the first time to wear a crown of gold but a crown of thorns and crucified. The first time he came to die in our place the second time he comes to rule. We live in the in-between times. As believers, just as he came to suffer, we must also suffer all kinds of trials. But we must also tell others and give them the opportunity to believe the king, to believe his word and the gospel and to tell them to surrender their lives to him. Now, if you're here or if you are watching us online, if you still haven't surrendered your life to Jesus the King, now is your chance, your opportunity. I don't know how many more opportunities you're going to have. Need to acknowledge your sinfulness, ask for forgiveness, place your faith in Jesus Christ and submit your life to him as your righteous king. Those who belong to the kingdom of God need to follow the kingdom's rules in obedience to him. Especially in the times in which we live, let me just reiterate it once again, the kingdom of God is not a free-for-all democracy. You don't get to make up what to believe, what to do, how to behave, we follow the king's rules. If you're not prepared to follow the king's rules, then you need to think very hard about your life. It's either going to be his rules or Satan's rules. As Bob Dylan says, one way or another, you're going to have to choose who to serve. It's either going to be the devil or the Lord, but either way, you're going to have to serve someone. Thirdly, the judgment in God's kingdom, verses 26 to 30. The judgment in God's kingdom. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. I began by telling you the story of a, of a German fellow who set up his own kingdom. In many ways, we all try and set up our own little kingdoms and setting ourselves up as kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. 
in our pride we try and make our own rules and think we, we know what is right and what is wrong, what is just and what is not. What we are doing is running against God. And there are consequences for doing this and judgment will be swift. It will be just like it was in the days of Noah and Lot where the people were eating and drinking and marrying till judgment came. And Noah warned them that it was going to happen. hundred years he was preaching and giving them a show and tell. This is the ark. This is what's going to happen. It's not as if they didn't have a chance until it was too late. And people continue to expect some prior warnings, some gradual change indicating that the end is near. Look around you. How many more warnings do you want? Do you need more change? Just now in in the US, one particular city has approved not just two same-sex couples to come together, but throuples, I think they call it, when a community, one, two, three, four, five, can be all married together and be part of one family. It's official in one place. They call it polyandry, don't they? Polyamory or polyandry? Anyway, we're going to come up with, get used to all these different names. What more warnings do you want? It may begin on the very day you get married. Zach and Lois, you're, you're married now, so you're okay. You can wait for Jesus to come now. That's fine. <laughs> Congratulations to Zach and Lois for getting married during the, the... Yeah, by the way, come on. The Lord's blessing, correct. The point is, we need to be prepared today. We, we, we need to be ready for God's judgment. We need to be ready by being right with God through Jesus Christ. And those who are in a right relationship with God, with genuine faith, do not have to worry about this terrible judgment. Why not? Because there is something that's going to happen. And this is one of those controversial texts that according to what part of the, you know, your, your doctrine guides you, you will find problems or not with this text. So this is the suddenness in God's kingdom. Verses 31, 34 and 35. This is what it says. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. And then... I tell you, on that night two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other left, two women will be grinding corn together, one will be taken and the other left. This event is, even though the word is not found in the scriptures, what is called the rapture. 
Jesus went, this is when Jesus comes to take his people from this world and judgment begins. Paul also tells us about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. There are instructions on what and what not to do on that day, similar to when there is a fire. In Noah's day, life continued as usual. And God's judgment did not start until God's people were safely in the ark. Not one drop of rain fell until Noah was sealed and the doors were closed. In Lot's case, the judging angels specifically told Lot that they will not judge Sodom until he was safely out of the city. In verses 34 and 35, Jesus tells us that no matter how close two people are, figuratively or literally, they may be separated at the rapture in the beginning of the judgment. Two people sleeping in the same bed, one will be taken, the other left behind. Two people may work together as friends, like women, grinding, but only one escapes judgment. It is clear that when this happens, family members will be separated. If in your family all your children are believers, God bless you. They're not you will be separated. That is a reality. And it's sad. Some will be taken glory of Jesus, others will be left behind to face judgment. The message for us is be prepared and not be left behind. And lastly, the priorities in God's kingdom, verses 32 to 33. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. You know that remember Lot's wife is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. If ever you're in a um, memory verse competition and they say, can you just, you know, one verse, not John 3.16, He's a good one. He's a short one, right? Jesus cried. He's one of them. And and remember Lot's wife. Which is a really good warning, isn't it? Remember Lot's wife. We don't know her name. We're not given her name. We just know her as Lot's wife. But we are told to remember her. something she did or, you know, as a warning to us. When God tried to save Lot and his family from the fiery destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, his wife looked back, looked behind, looked at what what, what she was leaving and she became a pillar of salt. 
Now, the reason why he commands us to remember and learn from her mistake is, verse 33, whoever tries to keep his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Those words of Jesus, this this same formula that Jesus tells us here is used very similar language five times in the Gospels. Do you think that Jesus is trying to tell us something? Obviously. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Very important. And I think we should remember Lot's wife when we are tempted to cling on, hang on, attach ourselves to the things of this world. Maybe husband and wife, parents to children, believer to believer, warn each other with these words. Remember Lot's wife. Lot Lot was certainly no saint and the Bible doesn't hide his misgivings, right? But at least he did heed the warning. But it appears his wife had to be dragged behind him. She kept looking back, grieving over the loss of her material comforts, her social position, her lifestyle to which she was accustomed and she was mourning, she was grieving at that loss. She was attached to the old life and missed out, because of that, she missed out on the gracious deliverance that God was giving to her. Don't miss out on God's deliverance because you're attached to the things of this world. Big warning. In the same way, we know the Sometimes the, the tragic news of a child who a ball is kicked across the road and, and the child is simply focused on the soccer ball or the football and he goes onto the road and bang, gets hit by a car. Why? He's so focused on the ball that he's distracted and therefore in mortal danger. Don't be too distracted by the things of the world that uh, you're in danger of being run over by God's judgment. Let me ask you, where are your eyes focused? Where are they looking at? Let me challenge all of us to make sure that we are focused on his kingdom. His kingdom is present. It is present here now. But they are, we are seeing the, just the outer bands, but the full storm is still coming. This kingdom of God should be our expectations, our priorities, our prayers. It, it should be first and foremost in our meditation as we pray for our loved ones so that they would surrender to Jesus. Don't miss the opportunities to tell others about him so that they would surrender to King Jesus as well. 
And until that day, let us be found faithful in all that we do for his kingdom's purposes and for his glory. Amen. Let us sing our final song, This Kingdom.